Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, New Hope. How's everybody doing? Good to see you. My name is John. I'm one of the the pastors here. And uh, if you're new, you're a guest, you haven't been around for a while, uh, the sort of thing that Emily uh, explained, we do on a somewhat regular basis. Uh, Have somebody uh, that knows a lot about a certain thing in for an interview. Sometimes we'll do it live. But more and more, we do it uh, through the magic of technology. So let's, let's hope that it works. Uh, and you might ask, why? Why do you do something like that, John? Why don't you just preach because we pay you to do that? You know, you might be saying this. I'm like, <laughs> fair, fair enough question. Um, one, I get tired of hearing my own voice. So I'm sure you do as well. I really value diversity of vo- voices. And we also want to be, you know, we're apprentices of Jesus. That's the word that we use. Uh, Another word is disciples, but I like apprentices of Jesus. And that intuits that we're learners, and we want to be a learning community. Not just book learning so we fill our heads and we're really smart, but learning that is catalytic to living. And so when we get the opportunity to interview someone like my friend uh, Dave, uh, I want to take it, and I think that you'll glean a lot of wisdom uh, from from David this morning. So that's kind of why we do what we do. We're, we're near the end of a series called The Emotions of God. As Emily said, we have one more week. Next week, we'll conclude the series with God is Love. We'll talk a little bit about that today uh, with Dave, and uh, there's still a chance to pick up the book. There's a few copies left um, if you want uh, to grab one of those. Uh, but uh, let me introduce my, my friend Dave, and well, let me introduce my friend Carolyn first, because some of you know Carolyn. Morning. Morning. Uh, she's hosted up here some, and they've been part of the church for this last stretch. Uh, Carolyn was a pastor for 11 years, but like I like to say, once a pastor, always a pastor. So she's a pastor, uh, but she's also a trained therapist for 30 years, something like that. I am not that old. Okay. It's so. 20 plus. <laughs> 20 plus. But you started therapy when you were 12, right? <laughs> no. Um, so a therapist, pastor, um, I'm always trying to get free therapy from Carolyn, being like, I got a friend that has this issue. What would, you know? So uh, we did these podcasts where I interviewed a couple of therapists uh, to uh, supplement the series, and hopefully you've gotten a chance to listen to some of those. They're available on our website. I love them. Um, I've heard really good things from those of you who have listened to them, but Carolyn was featured in the last two that came out along with Dr. Ken Logan. Uh, so let me introduce my friend uh, Dave. I think I can call him a friend now. Uh, it's a pretty impressive resume. Um, let's, uh, is Dave going to come on the screen? Can we give Dave a New Hope welcome as I introduce him? So. so. Thank the Lord that technology worked, because we're going to do a group therapy session if Dave didn't show up right. Just got to everybody lie down on the pews and we'll, you know. 
Uh, Dave lived in Lexington, Kentucky long enough to become a Wildcat fan. Boo. Uh, lived in Downers Grove, Illinois long enough to become a Cubs fan. Boo on that too. And lived in Ames long enough to learn how to walk beans. I don't know what that means. And detassel corn. Do you know what walk beans means? I don't know what that means. Maybe Dave will tell us. No. As a young man, he went west to Stanford. Now, check all the things that James learned in his life. He studied economics and then industrial engineering and also the Bible through InterVarsity. Uh, he was at Stanford. If some of you who are as old as me, and maybe if you know sports history, do you remember it's called The Play? Uh, when Stanford and Cal played and the Cardinal band came out on the field, but the game wasn't over. So uh, Dave was there for that game, and he just went home weeping and lamenting. Uh, he served on staff with InterVarsity, uh, if you know that organization, from 1986 to 1999 at Claremont, uh, Redlands, California, and, and Penn in Pennsylvania. Against her better judgment, Shannon agreed to marry him in 1991, his own words, and together they created Nathan and Noah. Uh, no one can ever have enough advanced degrees, so on top of economics and, uh, and engineering, he got an MDiv, that's a theological degree from Fuller Seminary, and then a master's in philosophy and then a doctorate in philosophy from University of Oxford. From 2006 to 2018, he taught Old Testament at Biblical Theological Seminary, uh, but in October 2018, he started teaching at, at Missio Seminary. He is now the Dean of Faculty and the Alan A. McRae Professor of Old Testament. Welcome, Dave. It's an impressive resume. You must be really good at school. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Higher and deeper, PhD, right? Um, no, it's, it's my pleasure to be with New Hope today. It's, uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while, so I'm happy to be here. Well, Dr. Lamb, uh, as uh, John mentioned, you had an interest in a lot of different things from sports to engineering, and yet you ended up with theology. Why did you end up with studying that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could, I could give a long answer. I'll, I'll give a short one, um, uh, and, and I'll, maybe I'll answer with a story. So uh, 25 years ago, I was a, a seminary student, and, and one of my very first classes, the professor, Bobby Clinton, puts a piece of paper uh, on the front of, and the desk of every a student in the class. This piece of paper was blank, but except it had a tombstone on it. Uh, and then uh, Bobby Clinton says, your assignment for Thursday is to say, come up, what do you want people to say about you when you're dead? So write your own epitaph. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm only 35. It just seems, it seems a little early to be thinking about my death. Um, uh, this is what I was thinking. The professor was like he was reading my mind. He says, it's never too early to think about your death. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it was um, really the shortest assignment I'd ever done. But it was one of the hardest because it meant so much to me. And I, I struggled with it over the course of several days. Um, what did I want people to say about me when I was dead? Um, but as I reflected on my life, there was kind of a clear pattern. What it is that I enjoyed doing the most? Uh, what gave me the most joy? Um, and so the epitaph for my tombstone I came up with is, he loved to give others a love for God's word. That is why I'm a Bible scholar. Uh, nine years after I wrote my epitaph, uh, my family, we had been living in England. 
we were moving back to the U.S. Um, and we were, while we were in England, I was teaching children's Sunday school um, during most of my doctoral program. And one of the moms that was in the Sunday school class, um, moms of one of the kids, came up to me afterwards and she says, thank you for teaching my son and my daughter. They, they will miss your teaching. It's clear you love scripture and you pass on that to my kids. It's contagious. I love that. That's why I'm a Bible scholar. That's a great answer. So I, I've been following you for a while. We, we just got to know each other recently um, because of your provocative book titles. I, I own these two. Uh, I know you have several others, but for a while I'd be like, who is this guy? Uh, my professor, Scott McKnight, has blogged about a few of your books, so it's, it's raised interest in, in me. And of course, we're, we're reading The Emotions of God, which has been wonderful for me personally and for our community. Uh, but uh, you, you have a couple of your older books. I think you're best known for your book, God Behaving Badly. Uh, is the God of the Old Testament angry, sexist, and racist? Question mark. Uh, now there's an expanded edition, so uh, there's that. And then uh, I love this title, Prostitutes and Polygamist, A Look at Love Old Testament Style. So I think, I, I think we would share this if we, if we hug out in person, Dave. Um, I kind of like to poke nerves a little bit too and make people feel uncomfortable. It seems like you've got that in your wheelhouse. So what about, um, I mean, these are, these, are, these are topics that will get people riled up or uncomfortable, but so are emotions. And so we're, 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 I know I got a lot of author friends. They're always thinking about next book, next book. Uh, at what point did you decide, I think I want to write on the emotions of God? Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a process. And one of the things I, I just do need to say is um, Jesus was one of the most provocative people who has ever lived. Um, and it's hard not to read the Gospels and be overwhelmed with how provocative he was. And so, um, yeah. Um, so two weeks, let me tell another story. Two weeks ago, I was preaching on prayer and the character of God. Uh, at the end of the sermon, I ended up sharing about some of my recent health struggles. Uh, a couple of months ago, I found out I had colon cancer. Now, that's all been resolved. That's a different story. But as, as I concluded this, my own personal health story in the sermon, I ended up weeping. Now, for people who know me well or have heard me speak a lot, um, that's not really a shocker. <laughs> I'm an emotional person, and uh, for, when it comes to weeping, I, I, don't, I don't really have much of a choice. Um, I'm okay with weeping now, even publicly, um, but when I was younger, that was always something I was embarrassed about. I, I felt um, ashamed, um, now, and there's a, a lot of reasons for my shame, um, but I think there's a stigma uh, maybe pr even particularly for men in our society, about being emotional. Um, and it's, I think it's certainly true in our culture, um, but it's even especially true in the church, which didn't make sense to me, because as I read through the Bible, I have been consistently shocked at how often the people of God and, the, and God himself are described as highly emotional. Um, and as I was re kept reading the Bible, I'm thinking, I'm an emotional person. The God of the Bible is an emotional person, but the church doesn't talk about this. I thought, somebody needs to write a book about this. So it really felt like God called me to do this. And then I said, here am I, Lord, send me. Uh, and um, writing the book has been really good for me to reflect on my life. It's all, uh, a, a version of therapy, actually. Uh, it's been healing for me to think about myself and my God. Uh, and um, so it's been a great process. 
Nice. Well, I do have a little tip for you all. Last time, people uh, waited to text in their questions, and we didn't get to very many of them. This time, my seat's on the screen. Text us right away if you have questions so we don't skip over them at the end because we run out of time. So, yeah, I can relate to your being uh, uncomfortable with certain emotions and getting more comfortable with them over time. Why do you think that is, that we're uncomfortable with our own emotions and we're uncomfortable with God being emotional? I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, again, I, I talk about some of these in the book. I, I think um, emotions are scary. Uh, emotions feel uncontrollable. Um, uh, emotions feel irrational. Um, emotions can be used to manipulate people. Um, people do stupid things often when they seem to be kind of under the control of their emotions. So um, it's not like I'm saying um, all emotions and all ex expressions of emotions are healthy. But I, I get that people are a little bit uncomfortable, even particularly thinking about God being emotional. Um, and maybe we're uncomfortable just because we don't talk about it. Um, so this is partly why I want to talk about it. Um, uh, apparently, um, uh, Oprah Winfrey um, decided to turn away from God um, when she heard that God was jealous. Uh, Oprah Winfrey says, I can't worship a jealous God. And I get it, and I understand that. Um, but if I had a chance, I, I would tell Oprah Winfrey um, she needs to read more Maya Angelou, the poet. Uh, Maya Angelou says, uh, jealousy and romance is like salt in food. A little can enhance the savor, but too much can spoil the pleasure, and under certain circumstances can be life-threatening. Uh, I think psychologists say similar things to Maya Angelou. There are good and bad forms of jealousy. Jealousy can certainly be destructive, often leading, well, eventually potentially leading to um, abuse. But it also can be healthy. And so we have to kind of figure this out. I wonder, um, I wonder how the Corinthians felt when Paul said, and this is in 2 Corinthians 11, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. Paul wanted the Corinthians to be exclusively devoted to Jesus, their Lord and Savior. Now, again, there's more we could say, but the fact that my wife is jealous of me and my time and my love, well, I think that's a good thing. The key is, let's talk about it, okay? She can tell me that. I can say this to her. I'm jealous when she travels on. I'm jealous for your time. Um, her, I would say, I would call it healthy jealousy, for me means that she loves me. The God of the universe, now this is something that boggles my mind, the God of the universe is jealous of my time and my devotion. God does not want me messing around with other gods, with money, with success, with fame, with fortune, with jobs, with promotions, um, None of those other gods that we may end up worshiping, looking to for satisfaction, none of them will satisfy. Only yeah, God. Pre preach, preach. Um, and, go ahead, yeah. You know, I, I was going to say, one of the themes, if you've been following along with us, we try to weave themes throughout all of our series. One of the primary themes of this series is that we, 
myself included, often try to make God in our own image. And I think that happens on a lot of different levels, and I think it happens with our emotions. And this is why we struggle with seeing God through the lens of some of these emotions, because we take, as Dave said, our own experience with jealousy, which is often broken, or other people's, which can often even be abusive, and we put it on God, and then we're deeply troubled, which we should be, uh, as opposed to letting God show us how to get emotional, because we're made in God's image. And so some of the, I think, the, the hope and the beauty of this series is we, we've been able to come to these emotions and see them through the lens of God and how to properly carry them forward. And uh, so God gives us an example and gives the Holy Spirit uh, to help us become people that can be emotional. So the little tagline we've been using is God shows us how to get emotional. We don't want you less emotional. We want you more. God shows us how to do that. So we got our first couple questions uh, coming in. So uh, Dave, I'll I'll pair these two together. So this is a two-part question. Uh, what uh, surprises did you encounter getting into this book and writing it? So any author, any speaker, when you're writing a sermon or whatever, right, you have your expectations of what you think you're going to encounter, and then you get into writing it and finishing it, and what were you most surprised about? I'm sure there's a long list, but what's one example? And then I thought this was a really good question. This is the second part of that question. Uh, If you could add one more chapter, which emotion would you add of God? Yeah, I, I was surprised a little bit in every chapter, but I think, um, and I'm, again, I'm going to paraphrase C.S. Lewis here. Um, I was surprised by joy. Uh, again, he, Lewis wrote a book about that. I think um, I was surprised at the very in the very first chapter of the Bible when God creates um, he creates his creation and creates his humans. The word that gets translated is good. Good is a good translation. The Hebrew word is tov. But that word has other connotations, including joy or delight. So basically, in Genesis 1, the very first thing we learn about God is he is an emotional God, and he was, God wasn't looking back at his creation and kind of going, meh, it's okay, I'll give it a three out of five. It's good. But God was delighted. We learn about this at the very beginning. And then we, we, we shift to the parables of Jesus. I mean, the God of the Bible is a God of joy. C.S. Lewis likes to say, C.S. Lewis used to say, um, joy is the serious business of heaven. And as you read through Jesus' parables, you see how often people at the end of the the story, Luke 15 is a great example. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. In each case, they throw a party. There there is great joy when, when, when sinners repent, when lost sheep are found, when lost coins are found. Um, our God is a God of joy, and that, that was something that surprised me. Um, uh, which one would have made the cut? I mean, the, the hard thing is, there are a couple that I considered, but they just didn't seem right. I'm like, um, the, the God, does God ever get surprised? That's like, oh, that's kind of a hard one. I mean, you could find some texts that make it seem like he gets surprised, or does God, God ever embarrassed? Um, so I, I, I kind of ended up with seven that seemed to be more pervasive, I almost cut the chapter on hate because I hate talking about hate. But the Bible leaves me no choice. And again, it's not a big theme, fortunately, in Scripture, but it does show up. But um, I'm not, that's a hard one in terms of like, there wasn't a clear emotion of God that I could have 
gotten a chapter's worth of material on. So I think the, the seven that I came up with were the ones that seemed to be the, the best fits for me. That's great. Hey, um, I was thinking about your uh, comment about uh, emotions and uh, what you were surprised by and thinking, okay, but how did it change you? Like knowing that uh, God is so joyful, maybe that's the one you pick. How does that like make you a different person or f make you a different follower of Jesus? Yeah, I mean, uh, th that's hard. I think, um, I don't know. I, 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 I think we've all struggled with, um, you know, life during COVID. Uh, it's not been a, a, for many of us, I mean, there have been people that have been getting married, people have been, gra a lot. we celebrated our graduation, there was a lot of joy yesterday, but for the, during the, this, you know, three plus years of COVID, a lot, it's been a dark time for many of us, um, but I think for me personally, um, in the midst of darkness, and we all have kind of, um, you know, the last 11 years, I've lost both of my parents, um, you know, I, we've had issues with my sons over um, successes and difficulties. There's been a, a lot of struggles in my own personal life, um, even professionally. But knowing that my God is a God of joy and that my God um, delights in me, gives me joy. Um, and it helps me to be a person that thinks about what is it going to look like for me to be a person that even when I'm struggling to be a person of joy. Now, again, this is not just to say that we need to, um, you know, <laughs> put aside how we're actually feeling. I think the key is wherever we are, God wants to come, come alongside. If we are struggling, if we're um, sad or depressed or discouraged, we need to give that to God. But somehow in the midst of, of whatever our, wherever our struggles are, God can come alongside of us and we can see our God is a God of joy and he wants us um, to rejoice with him. And part of it is, um, as I look to God, I can, I can um, find joy in his joy within me. Great. I, I, I've been engaging with a lot of you and I love doing this in series where you'll email or text and uh, either reading Dave's book or the sermons. And I love that. We're a discipleship community. And I think if I were to sum up the majority of the interactions, it would be like you're delightfully disturbed. <laughs> I think it's kind of how I would say it. And what I mean by that is we grew up with this uh, kind of static view of God, like God's this being up in the sky that kind of did the creative thing and then removed himself. And, and like God is like our stoic Scandinavian grandparents that barely show facial expressions and is, are unmoved by things, right? I think that, and not for everybody, but I think that is, a, that is a default of people growing up in the church. It affects our prayer life. It affects how we show up each day to have that. That's a very deformed view of God. And so I think when we're getting in the motions, again, we put our experience onto God. So, you know, we are all emotional beings, your family unit, my family unit, you've got two kids and a husband and all that. I got kids and we live in community and we get emotional. And when we experience emotion, suddenly uh, we feel like everything's a hot mess, like it's out of control. Like, I'm out of control, you're out of control, we're all out of control. So when we put that on God, we're like, wait a second, God's out of control. And I, I think that's a distorted way to look at it. 
And that's the disturbed part. But when we get to the other side of it, we, we see that God is responding to us in real time. I mean, that's a mind-blowing thing. Like God is a responsive God that is relationally involved in my life and your life. So Dave, I don't want to, I don't mean to, you know, I've told you to try to keep your answers to three minutes, which is just impossible, right? Or this question, I don't mean to get into like reformed theology and the sovereignty of God. I don't expect you to solve all that for us in three minutes. Here's the way I'll frame the question. Um, like how does this emotional God, this beautiful portrait you paint in your book that we see in scripture that is responding in real time, how does that work with a God that is also declared in Scripture to be unchanging? Now, that's a hard question, uh, a great question. Um, but again, let me answer that in some ways with a, with a story. Uh, a few months ago, I was um, asked to, to preach on the topic of God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, so I emailed the pastor and I said, well, yes, according to the Bible, though, God is both changing and unchanging. And, and then I explained what I meant. God's character doesn't change, but God changes his mind based on uh, humans, human behavior. Um, God changes his decisions and the judgment he makes. I mean, that's really kind of the gospel, right? God tells us, you deserve death. We repent, and then God says, you're forgiven. God engages with people. It's It's a dynamic relationship. Um, I, 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 again, preached recently on 2 Kings chapter 20 where God tells King Hezekiah, you're going to die. You, you, will not, you will not recover, Hezekiah. And when God said that, he meant it. It wasn't a test. But then Hezekiah prayed. And Hezekiah wept. And God changed his mind. Why did God do that? Well, I don't, I don't know 100% certain, but from, the, from 2 Kings 20, we know that God's character doesn't change. But then God, look at what God says to Hezekiah. He says, I heard your prayers and I saw your tears. Somehow, Hezekiah's weeping contributed to God's changing. God is emotional. It's, we have a dynamic, a real relationship with God, and he responds um, positively to human emotions. My, mo- my mom always used to say, um, uh, uh, prayer doesn't change God, um, prayer changes us. Uh, and I agree with half of that, Mom. Rest, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> prayer definitely changes me. But I challenge you to find a verse in Scripture that says prayer does, makes no difference to God because you won't find one. Somehow, God's, God's emotional character, his love, his compassion, his slowness, anger, those never change. But when I pray, even my emotions, like Hezekiah, it somehow, and it, this is a bit of a mystery to me, it sometimes it makes a difference to God. And that motivates me to pray. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I could give a better apologetic for our prayer lives than that. I mean, that's beautiful. And if that doesn't get you to rethink your prayer life with God, it matters. And can we, can Dave, who has way more education than me, or myself or Carolyn, explain exactly how that works? No. But we trust the revelation of the scriptures. We, we trust how Jesus prayed, like it mattered and like it moves God. I was in a um, pastor's retreat this week with 44 pastors 
And we had a, my Hebrew scholar friend Tim was teaching us the book of Revelation. And it was really great. And, or Exodus, thank you, like uh, Exodus. And so- I uh, there, but I know. We're there, you, I talked to you about it, Exodus. Uh, and there's that, there's that point in Exodus that is the context for the passage that Sherry read. And Moses uh, is kind of on top of Mount Sinai and, you know, getting the Ten Commandments while the people are building their stupid golden calf. And, and, and Yahweh is angry and wants to just wipe them out and start over. <laughs> and, uh, and Moses is like arguing with God. Kinda the, Moses, the friend of God, is having this conversation with God like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> you know? and, and, and we think like, what does that look like? God, it seems like God changes his mind in that scene. But my friend Tim said, no, really what's happening is Moses is just crying out to God to be God to be the God that God's revealed himself to be. I love that. And I think that that's changed even my prayer life this week, like crying out to God for people that I love to be God, to be compassionate, to be slow to anger, to be loving. So that was a great answer, uh, Dave. Thanks. We got, uh, you got another question from the crowd? Yeah, I'm kind of trying to summarize a couple, but I think this one does uh, the best job of kind of summarizing a couple thoughts here. Uh, God's speaking of Exodus and the Old Testament. God's emotion of anger and hate often leads to violence in the Old Testament. How do we deal with that? And what does this mean when we experience anger? Wow. Yeah, that's hard. Um, so, um, a couple things I would say whenever people ask me about violence um, in Scripture or the anger of God, um, the hatred of God, um, the, the very first thing I, I, I say to them, hopefully, is that's a great question. Um, and we, we just need to validate these kind of questions. Churches, Sunday school classes, we, we need to create safe spaces for people to ask hard questions about God and God's word. Um, and it's really easy when people ask these kind of questions, maybe particularly it's if a youth ask this kind of a question to an older, um, you know, Christian, we can kind of, we want to come in quick and fast and come in with our hard answers because we, we want to defend God. Um, but um, as we do that, we can um, make people feel like um, it's not safe to struggle and ask hard questions. So that's kind of the first, the first point I would say. I do talk about this a lot in, a, in, a, in my God Behaving Badly book, and I talk about um, other violence. The, the thing, I, the, I guess the one thing I would say is, um, I'll go back to Exodus. Um, Exodus records the very first place God gets angry. Uh, it's in the call of Moses. God is calling Moses, and Moses keeps resisting. And eventually God gets mad because God wanted to deliver his people from, uh, from oppression, from slavery, and Moses was unwilling to help. So the very first place that God gets angry is because he wants to do something about injustice, but his people don't, in this case, Moses. As you read through the story of Exodus, God gets angry at the Egyptians. Uh, God gets angry at the Egyptians, but um, why is he angry? Well, he is angry because these, the Egyptians had been oppressing his people for centuries. Now, you, you ask yourself, I wonder 
I wonder how the, um, the Israelites felt about God's, and he, he, he destroyed the, the Egyptians at the Red Sea. He, you know, there was, there was a violent judgment against the Egyptians. But how did the Israelites feel about that? Well, are the Israelites troubled by this? <laughs> no. For the last 3,000 years, the people of Israel have celebrated the Passover. Anybody who has endured violence and oppression for long periods of time, are, those folks are not going to be troubled with right, when righteous judgment comes to the people that perpetrate, perpetrated the oppression. Um, God's judgment, which sometimes is violent and even sometimes is troubling to me, is always righteous. And ultimately, I would say, it's motivated by love. Yeah, that's a great answer. Uh, as, as we mentioned, Dave's written a whole book on this. Not that he would argue that he's answered every question I, I shared in the first service. I have a stack on my shelf of about 10 books on this subject because it troubles me. And I want to know. And uh, the more I've learned, I'm less troubled, but uh, I still get troubled. But I, I, I think I want to amplify the point that David made um, we can get into the text. There's things that we misread in the text that make it appear less intense. There's all kinds of ways we can approach this. But I think we all bring a, a cultural blindness to the text as well. And um, I can only speak for myself as a white man who has never faced oppression or no one's beat me up or like stole from me or these kind of things. I lived a pretty privileged life. So I think I can approach a text where I see some violence, uh, some righteous uh, justice that, that is played out in a violent way towards oppressors and be like, I don't know, that seems a little much. Uh, but it been back to my friend Tim. Uh, he teaches Exodus regularly to classrooms. And he was telling us this story this last week. And he likes to populate the classrooms with a, a wide diversity. So that as he's teaching, he can learn from them because he's missing things in the text. And he was telling us about one of the Exodus stories of violence and a lot of the folks that look like me or maybe had a life like me, not that there's anything wrong with that. I praise God for it. Um, but they were like, ah, seems a little much. And to his right uh, was a young man who grew up in Africa, I believe, and faced just tons of violence and tons of oppression. And he said, what do you think about it? And he goes, I'm comforted by God's righteous judgment. So it's just, a, and I'm not saying, you know, it's right or wrong, but I think we got to realize what we're bringing to the text and we got to continue wrestling with the Lord. Ultimately, Jesus is the one as God in the flesh that took on the violence of the world upon himself and broke it. And I think that gives me great peace. I love that shift in perspective. It may not answer the question fully, but it kind of gives our mind the opportunity to open a new pathway and go, maybe there's more to this story even if I can't wrap my mind around the whole yeah. thing. I like that. Yeah. Thanks, David. Um, we're going to uh, probably, we'll probably have space for, for one last question here. We'll, we'll see how long your answer is. But I, I think it's a, it's a fitting last question. Um, the, again, as a reminder, New Hope, next week uh, we end the series uh, with God is Love. And you obviously constructed your book, uh, as I joked, it was a tough start to the series because our first couple of weeks were like, God is hate, God is anger. And, you know, the, suddenly people aren't coming to church and they're leaving the faith. And, you know, there's kind of so but I was like, hang on, hang on. Uh, we're, we're working up to joy and compassion and love. Um, but I noted early on because I had not read, obviously, the last chapter. I was reading it kind of a, along with writing the sermons for the ones I was responsible for. But I was noting 
in almost every chapter, uh, you brought in love to clarify the emotion you were talking about or amplify it or give it greater depth or perspective. After a while, it's like, oh, this is a theme. And then, of course, reading the, the last chapter, I was like, yeah, like that's, I kind of thought of it as like love is like the decoder ring emotion for all the other emotions. Uh, they're like, oh, yeah, it makes sense now if we hold it in the context of a God who is love. So did, did you know, talk to us about that? Did you start with that understanding? Did you come to it? Um, why did you construct your book that way? And why is it so important as we navigate these other emotions to also understanding that love is... Would you say it's the most dominant? What, what word would you use? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things we could say. I, mean, I, I, I had a hard time with the beginning of the book, too. Um, the, the hatred, jealousy, um, and anger. Um, but I kind of knew where I wanted to go. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do struggle with this. I think that as I was writing it, it did seem like this was just a theme that I was not anticipating, but I was kind of surprised by along the way. Um, one of the things that, you know, I, I've actually kind of known this for a while, though, there are two emotions that get attributed to God the most, by far and away. The two emotions. Um, uh, anger is associated with God, and love is associated with God. And, you know, just based on just the, the, the number of references to divine anger, divine, um, divine love, you might think that these, these two emotions are kind of roughly equivalent in terms of God's priorities, the yin and the yang. God is angry and he's equally loving and he's angry and he's loving. Um, but again, I love the passage you guys read at the beginning from Exodus 34. Um, Exodus 34, um, that framing of this character of God that we see in Exodus 34 is repeated throughout the Old Testament. And we see um, not just this verse, but this idea repeated as well. As we look at Exodus 34, um, let's think about his anger. Well, Exodus 34 tells us that God is slow to anger. His anger is constrained. And for any of us who struggle with anger, that's a hard one, right? You just, it just erupts. For God, it's, it, he's slow to anger. It's constrained. He, he gets angry, but it's slow. He gets there slowly. But God's love, it's different. God abounds in love. He overflows with love. And we see this not just in Exodus 34, but throughout Scripture. God is not anger. God is not sorrow. There's only one emotion that totally characterizes his being. And 1 John puts it really clearly in chapter 4. God is love. And so this emotion so characterizes God that we shouldn't be surprised that all of his emotions are somehow motivated by his love. And I find that quite compelling and worthy of praise. Mm, mm, that's so good. I really love that knowing that God's love is informing and motivating and constraining the emotions that are more concerning for me, it yeah. helps me understand those emotions a little bit more because I think the way that I see those other emotions expressed in the world, like jealousy and rage and anger, aren't often constrained by love. They're motivated by selfishness or sinful motives. Okay, we have another question for you, though. What hope and prayer do you have for us and others who read your book? Um, yeah, so 
I, I did a podcast, uh, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago. At the end, the, the person said, um, what question do you wish I'd asked? I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And it's kind of related to the same answer. Uh, the answer I'd give to that is the same. Um, I want people to say to me, so what? So what? Who cares? What difference does it make, Dave? Um, my, my hope is that the takeaway for people is... For those of us who feel uncomfortable with emotions, we would realize the God of the Bible is not only described as emotional, he's not embarrassed about his emotions, he talks about his emotions all the time. And then the people of God are also not embarrassed about their emotions, they're described as being emotional, and they, they, they freely speak about it. So whether you're uncomfortable with it or more comfortable with it, um, let's talk about it. Let's... <laughs> Uh, I, you know, at the, at the end of the book, I, I conclude and say, um, feel emotions like God does, talk about emotions like God does, and act on emotions like God does. Love has got to compel us to act. Compassion has to cause us to, to act. Anger, even anger, we should be angry about injustice and oppression. When, anger, when injustice and oppression happen, we, we should not be indifferent to it. So, but all of these things need to be motivated by love. It should make a difference. So um, I would say to the people who preach or teach the Bible or, or, you know, even we're trying to teach our kids, it's okay to talk about emotions. In fact, I think it's healthy. Counselors would probably agree with me on this one, I'm assuming. But, yeah, you got, yeah, you got my vote. <laughs> okay. Yeah, K Carolyn will be, Carolyn's going to be handing out her card in the lobby, uh, just uh, okay. folks, just kidding. Um, it's healthy, and the God of the Bible talks about him, and we need to talk about him and express him and act on him. Yeah, a amen. Um, uh, Dave, I, I've, I've got a number of friends who write books and are scholars, and just I'm always really impressed by you folks, and I know it can be a lonely life and, and a hard life. Um, but thank you personally and on behalf of our church for writing this book, for investing in the Church Universal by talking about this important question. I can only speak for myself, but reading your book, even preaching some of these messages, has invigorated my prayer life, has caused me to look at God differently, and at the end of the day, that's all we can ask. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm really grateful. Thank you. Uh, Dave has graciously uh, offered, um, we'll, I'll, I'll mention his website after he, he departs. And uh, he, he says, I don't know why he said this, but he said you could send him any question. So if you, uh, if you and he gets back to you. So if you had a question, I saw a number of them coming in that, that he didn't get a chance to answer. I know that he's graciously uh, offered to do that. So Dave, we're, we're like uh, this little ragtag, ragamuffin group of Jesus followers in the southeast of Portland, kind of stumbling and bumbling along by God's grace, trying to follow Jesus and share his love. And uh, so we need, uh, we need grace. We need the Holy Spirit. So would you mind praying over us as we conclude our time? Sure. I'd love to do that. Let's pray. Uh, God, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful <laughs> that we are emotional beings created in the image of an emotional God and help us to reflect that, to image, be image bearers um, of not just our, uh, our actions, not just our um, thoughts, but also our emotions and our feelings. Um, God, we're thankful that the gift of Scripture Give us wisdom to understand it because, God, sometimes your emotions don't really make sense to us. But give us wisdom. Um, and, God, I pray for this community. I pray for new hope. 
as they follow Jesus and they share his love, that they could, they could be following Jesus as he as just, just, uh, characterized in the Gospels. He's an emotional savior, our, our, a savior who weeps, who has compassion, who gets angry. Um, and God, pray that we would be um, following Jesus into healthy expressions of emotions. God, bless this community, bless our time, bless the rest of this day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we uh, give it up for Dr. David Lamb? Thank you. Thanks, Thank Dave. You. Have a good Sunday. All right, you too.